If you pay really close attention every draft season, you're going to inevitably have some names that like stick out to you four years later as a guy you maybe liked in the fourth round. The Vikings have a few of those guys, and you might have totally forgotten about it. Let's talk about them on the Lockdown Vikings podcast. You liked it on three, one, two, three. You, liked it! you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Luke Braun, and let's find some joy today. You can find the Locked On Vikings podcast wherever you find your favorite shows, whether it is YouTube, Amazon Fire, Roku, or even the SiriusXM app. We're now partnered with Sirius, and you can find us there. Thank you so much to my hashtag everydayers, those of you who do listen to this show every single day. I appreciate you more than you could ever know. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNFL. When you enter promo code LockedOnNFL there, they will throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order. Today on the show, it is uh, three different entries in the Everyman series. We are on a, a mission here at the Locked On Vikings podcast to cover the journey to the Vikings for every single member of the 90-man roster, or, you know, as many as we can get to before they uh, get cut like, Kenny Willekes or uh, traded away or whatever. Um, but today we're going to focus on three different players who you maybe forgot that the Vikings had signed because it either happened in, in May when nobody's paying attention or it happened, you know, in the middle of October when everybody was paying so much attention that they were, you know, all embroiled in whatever that week's controversy was. And you missed that there was a guy that ended up on the practice squad and got signed to a reserve contract or whatever. But ultimately, these guys have as clean a ticket as anybody to go try and make the team. Uh, so let's dive in, starting with uh, John Reed. And I, I want to start by talking about what is kind of a through line when you go through like the backstories of many people. You'll see a lot of parents that don't want their kids to repeat the mistakes that they did. And if you talk to John Reed's parents, uh, cornerback, he was most recently with Atlanta, if you talk to John Reed's parents, you get that sense. They had John Reed when uh, they were 17 and 18 years old. This was a, a, a young pregnancy kind of thing. And it totally derailed like whatever dreams or plans that they had. Like it, like it will when you have a kid that young. Um, you know, his father had to work multiple jobs. He was delivering pizzas and then he was working night shifts at an assembly line just to make ends meet. Um, and so when they were raising their their son they wanted to raise him smart and they it was very important that he go to college that he get better opportunities than we had which is such a a common sentiment across generations especially in the United States um and you know what those lessons took because John Reed it, known as a brainiac um and beyond football i mean he is absolutely like takes those study habits and applies them to football like for sure um but i mean it's he's he's got an engineering degree and he was always the kind of take the puzzle apart, put it back together kind of kid and always loved that sense of learning kind of no matter what it was like for uh, example, one time as a kid, I think it was like nine or 10 when this happened. He didn't like how slow his gaming system was. So he just like learned how to build a better computer. He just like took that on. 
<laughs> and learned how to do it. And and that's kind of the, the the sort of person that that creates is a problem solver, a very proactive brain. There's this thing in front of me. What? Can, how do I learn what to do about it? Um, and what's in front of him is going to be resolved. And that's like where that goes. Uh, and he blossomed athletically too, which turned him into one of the best recruits in the entire state of Pennsylvania. Um, and it was kind of a surprise that he chose Penn state, even though it was, you know, the, the school that was close to him. He also had an offer from Bama. He like could have done the Alabama thing, but he decides to stay at Penn state. And his first year there is uh, 2017, which is a year in which Penn State wins the Big Ten title and they go to the Rose Bowl, and he actually gets in as a true freshman, which is not necessarily common. Um, He was well on his way to being like a a superstar for Penn State, too. He was like an all-Big Ten freshman team dude. He was starting by the end of his true freshman year. He had a not-excellent game, gave up a touchdown um, against USC in the Rose Bowl. And that Rose Bowl was kind of a big disappointment. If you remember that 2017 Rose Bowl, um, it was USC versus Penn State. And it wasn't like the game wasn't directly on him, but I mean, he made his like share of, of he probably takes his share of the blame like everybody. But USC got an interception in a tie game with like 35 seconds left. And then ran like one run play that John Reed wasn't involved in and kicked a field goal. Um, And that's how they lost the Rose Bowl. That was a heartbreaker. That desire for championship and winning, like he really wanted to get back at that apple. Um, And he he worked like hell to to really truly get better and, and, you know, claim that starting job permanently. But in the middle of the spring program, he felt that telltale pop in his knee, uh, ACL injury, and it would actually kill his whole season. Now, this is where I need to talk about kind of the running through line of this episode of Locked On Vikings. There is this momentum in football careers where, you know, when you're a five-star recruit and, you know, you, you can have a sort of bog standard college career where, you know, you don't even have to start as a true freshman. You can redshirt, and then you kind of play a little bit. You get in as a sophomore a little bit, junior, senior year. Uh, you're a starter if you haven't declared by then. And you can kind of follow that. But if anything breaks that up, um, it will severely tank your stock. You're you're always going to be climbing uphill because now you, you took a year off. You're going to be that much further behind in your development. Now you're a senior getting evaluated and, you know, you're going to be that much further behind. So now instead of a second round pick, you turn into a fourth round pick. Um, but beyond that, when you're rehabbing an ACL injury and you're a guy like John Reed, problem solver, he is a how do I figure out how to make this happen right now? There is no solution to that problem. It is you just have to wait. You, you just have to be patient, attack your rehab properly and you have to take this very patient, unrewarding approach. I think that is the 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 thing about being injured. And we've talked about this a couple times on the Everman series now with players that have gone through season-ending injuries and you have to rehab your way back from it. You have to mature a little bit. You have to learn a little bit of patience um, and how to kind of slow down, smell the roses, and really truly take it one day at a time where, all right, I cannot get out and play tomorrow as much as I want to. My job today is to do my rehab and it's boring and it's unrewarding and it's nothing and it hurts and I just have to do it. And that's all I get to do today. And you kind of get used to that mentality 
And when it actually comes time to get into practice, that patience, that new skill of being able to attack tedium um, and, you know, survive it mentally uh, becomes part of your skill set. But that momentum is still busted and it ends up going, I mean, he's a five-star recruit, top 20 corner in the nation. Now he's a fourth round pick in the draft. Um, but it's also a testament to the level of competition in the NFL. You know, when you're that big of a recruit, you're that good of a recruit, you go to a power five school. Um, you know, he did start for the last two years after he came back from that ACL injury, but Hey, you're five foot 10 and you missed a year fourth round pick. <laughs> and it was a really unfortunate destination too, because he's a fourth round pick to the Bill O'Brien Texans in their last in Bill O'Brien's last year there. So his second year, Nick Casario takes over as GM. And now he has to like win over a GM that did not choose him. He is now an inherited player. Um, and I mean, we saw this in the Vikings, all of the 2021 draft picks that Quasi cut in his first year, that same thing happens to John Reed, you know, Bill O'Brien brings him in to be like this Devi corner with a good short shuttle. And yeah, he's a little bit uh, short, but he's really quick, you know, and maybe we can make something out of this guy. Nick Casario says, that's not my project. I'm out. And um, he's going to cut him outright, but ends up actually trading him. There was actually a report that came out like Texans cut John Reed and then actually no Texans trade John Reed for a seventh round pick. And then the Seahawks get him a week before cut down day. So you don't get any time to learn the playbook or anything like that. No time to prove yourself. And then he gets cut and put on the practice squad. So now you've gone from five-star recruit to practice squad reclamation project. And now you're just fighting uphill for the rest of time until you can find your way into a starting job. Um, this is where the journeyman part starts. He only gets in in Seattle his first year at, during like a, a major COVID outbreak that they deal with. It's 2021. They deal with this huge COVID outbreak. Uh, you're a practice squad call up and he gets in. But he also makes the team in 2022, but only as like a roster bubble guy. He kind of is that like 52nd, 53rd player. He doesn't even finish the season with them. Um, he gets cut in October and a month takes a month, probably an excruciating month. Uh, for Atlanta to call him. He gets put on the practice squad there. And while he is on the practice squad at Atlanta, trying to learn how the Falcons do things, the Titans call and say, we're going to put you on the 53. We're actually going to claim you. And he plays three weeks for the Titans. They were having injury issues they had to deal with um, last year. So he does some spot duty there, gets cut from the Titans, and Atlanta says, hey, we'll take you back on the practice squad, so let's do that. But all of that team switching puts this stink on you where you're now the guy that like got cut from a bunch of teams, right? Um, and it's just the lowest of lows from where he was going into college and even where he was in college. You know, a highly recruited guy started three of his four years and the other year he was hurt, you know, uh, fourth round pick in, in the NFL draft. Now you might as well be a free agent. You might as well be below the free agents. And, and hey, in the depth chart, maybe he will be to start. And it's going to be kind of on him to to rise above. It's it's so hard to get that loyalty that you would get from a team who drafted you. You know, hey, we spent a fourth rounder on you. We've got this developmental curve in mind. Another team picks you up and they just don't have that loyalty. They don't have that investment. Um, and, and you're not going to get any traction on a team when you join the midseason on the practice squad, right? You need that camp with them. But here's what I will say. When given more than like 10 days to learn a playbook, he has not yet missed the cut. He made it his rookie year uh, in, ten, in 
Houston. He uh, made it in Seattle 2022 when he had more than a week to learn the playbook. And now he comes to the Minnesota Vikings hoping for the same result. But he's going to be fighting against that momentum. And we'll have to see if he can overcome it. want to get to the other couple of players here. But before I do so, I hope you guys like to look good. Because that is what Bird Dogs is here for. Bird Dogs stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you that truly sculpted look. Really make you look jacked. It's kind of trying to fight against what like shorts normally do. They're made out of like a really restrictive cotton that will not be at like form fitting and it's stiff and it's not comfortable. Bird Dogs invented a cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but also stretches so you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. And it's an anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. So go to birddogs.com slash NFL and enter promo code locked on NFL for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on NFL for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Thanks again to my hashtag everydayers, those of you who listen to the show every single day. I appreciate you quite a bit. Uh, next up on the list is Curtis Weaver. And uh, Curtis Weaver, he's very proud of the side of his family. That is Filipino. That's his mom's side, I think. Um, he's half Filipino, and that side of the family would get together quite a bit. And it put him in a situation, the reason I set things up that way, is this big side of the family, and it put him in a situation as, like, say, like a 10-year-old, where you're trying to, like, command a big loud room of a huge family and anybody with a really big family uh can probably relate to this where if you're trying to be the 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 center person that's like that's a lot of competition that'll make a dude funny (laughs) and and curtis weaver has a lauded sense of humor uh as sort of a a jokester and a man that brought a lot of levity to the locker room at Boise State. He was at Boise State same years. I think it was the same draft. No, he was one year later than Alexander Madison. But hey, a lot of the same locker room. So former teammate of Alexander Madison's and Ezra Cleveland's probably went up against Cleveland in practice a decent amount, if I were to guess. Um, But he was known when he was younger at Boise State as like the class clown player that, you know, he, he was funny and he, he was good attitude. It was, you know, wasn't uh, like a, a, a headache or anything like that, but kind of a goofball. That, you know, man, if he just like got a little more serious, look out, right? 2018, second to last year at Boise State, guess what happens? He gets a little more serious and look out. Um, Everybody that offseason talks about this transformed Curtis Weaver. Not that he lost that sort of twinkle in his eye, but that he just learned how to turn it off on the field. And in the locker room and, and, you know, with teammates and stuff, he was still joking around, having a good time. But there was this buckle down and focus to him and everyone went, "Uh Oh, now he's going to be a dude. Um, this bears out in particular in his final season, 2019 in at Boise state, he gets 13 and a half sacks and 18 and a half TFLs produces like crazy and decides I'm at my peak. I'm going to declare for the draft. He makes this decision around December of 2019, which is, Perhaps the worst time in the history of football to decide you're going to declare early for the draft. He still had a year of eligibility. He's going to waive it. He's going, I'm I'm happy with my draft stock. Let's do this. And then things get unprecedented, right? (laughs) How many shows am I going to say that? Things get a little unprecedented. It's 2020 and the 2020 NFL draft process is like totally messed up. Um, 
for one, he does go to the NFL combine, but he doesn't do everything. He didn't run a 40, didn't do a bench press, and he didn't do great in the jumps. So the only drills he does do are the ones that don't go. So he, he runs a short shuttle. That's pretty good, though. So that's nice. Or a three cone, one of the agility drills. Um, so at least that's nice, but he intended, I would imagine to do some of the other drills on his pro day. And a lot of players will divide things up that way. You kind of, you know, you want to practice and train for all the drills, like really get good at getting out of sprinters blocks for the 40. So you do that and a couple other drills and split that you do half of them in the combine. And then once the combine's over, you train like heck for your pro day for the other half of the drills and you do them there and hopefully you get a good athletic profile. Right. But when there's no pro day, because it was scheduled for April 2nd, 2020, when everybody was locked inside, then, uh, you don't get a chance to do all that stuff. I got to imagine that that hurt his draft stock because he falls to the fifth round. And to be honest, that like some people didn't think that that was too crazy, but a lot of people, uh, thought that, he wasn't going to fall that far. He ends up going to the Miami dolphins. Um, but all of that is neither here nor there. Cause his career was about to take a much bigger hit. So it's 2020 training camp and second week of full contact practices. He feels like a snap in his foot and it's grisly and it hurts agonizing pain. And he like limps his way off to the trainer. He's like afraid to take his shoe off because he doesn't know what this foot's going to look like. And sure enough, his toe is just like dangling. <laughs> it was the word used in the article I read about this. I'll, I'll spare you the visual. Um, but it's gnarly, right? And it's turf toe. And turf toe, when it's that severe, not only is that a season-ending injury, but it's like a It could be like a career-altering injury. Um, that's, that is nothing to mess with. So he's not going to play for this whole year. And that puts Miami, the dolphins into a very interesting spot with their fifth round pick. You can get burned on this sometimes because when you have an injured player who gets in injured in camp and you put him on IR, he is out for that entire season. So if there's any hope that that dude's going to be healthy enough for the season, you risk losing him. Cause if you're healthy enough to play, but you're on IR, you can actually like, lobby for an injury settlement and say, Hey, you know, pay me out, whatever the rest of, of my deal is, whatever the rest of like my season is. I want to hit free agency and see if I can't get on the field this year, because I'm not allowed to be on the field with you. That players are allowed to do that. Um, and kind of chase their opportunity. So if you put a player on IR and you only think he's going to be out for, you know, 10 weeks of the season, you risk losing him, but you also have to risk losing him to like not do that where you either have to carry him onto the 53 man roster for a day cutting somebody else that you want to keep and just hoping that guy doesn't get poached. And then once you're ha technically quote unquote in season, then you can put Curtis Weaver on IR like normal. He'll be on your team and he'll be back for next camp or you waived injured him, which is what teams will often do with players that aren't, you know, total superstars. Right. Um, so as a fifth round rookie, they do this where you actually do waive him. He gets subjected to waivers. Other teams can claim him, but usually it's not that big of a risk because he's got a busted toe. Nobody's going to put him on his, their 53 man roster. They'd have to be like volunteering to take over all the rehab and stuff, but the Browns bite on it. They actually will do this. They claim him from the Dolphins. So now he's learning a brand new playbook and all that stuff, but he's also rehabbing a toe injury. And over that time to kill the time in 2021, uh, or no, it's, it's a uh, 2020. He, He's playing like Call of Duty with Jedrick Wills, and he's like getting to know other Cleveland Browns, right? And he will end up um, spending a lot of time on and off that Browns roster. But 
again, because Cleveland didn't spend the pick on him, it's a little bit more of an uphill battle. All of that momentum of being the breakout senior at Boise State that finally learned how to take things seriously is totally gone. Now you're just the reclamation project that got hurt. And much like John Reed, Curtis Weaver comes into Minnesota as that reclamation project, as that can we rediscover what you were in college kind of guy. Um, it's a long way from, you know, being the flowery profile dude that was actually absolutely killing it in college that has this, you know, astounding personality trait that sticks out to you, to everybody who meets him. And then just kind of going to another faceless dude that's kind of bounced on and off of practice squads and you hope he can make a team. But we'll see if the Vikings can reclaim that Joker sack machine. I've got one more guy whose career follows a pretty similar path. All of these sort of low-grade free agents that have been through a lot of other places have these moments where their momentum and their reputation as a player is completely reconfigured. Uh, but the next one is has been at this a lot longer and actually did kind of carve out a career against all odds. I am sure that a lot of people in the 2000s in Indiana would rush out of church on Sundays and try to get home in time for the noon game to watch Peyton Manning play. And the days, Sheldon Day's family, certainly no exception. A young Sheldon Day would rush home from church to catch Peyton Manning and, and the Colts as a diehard Indiana through and through fan. Um, he is completely Indiana through and through Notre Dame, and he will even play for the Colts at one point. We'll get to it. Um, he could have actually declared for the NFL draft in 2015. He was eligible, but he wasn't happy with his draft stock, and he had one more year of eligibility. He wanted to get it up, and there is this pressure on it. There's this, this is your last year. You have to, like, absolutely kill it and get the attention of NFL teams because they're not looking at you now. You got to make them look at you. And he does. He has this great year at Notre Dame and he gets the attention of an NFL franchise, but in a sick twist of irony because God hates everyone. Uh, it's the Jacksonville Jaguars, the bitter rival that he was. He grew up rooting against. But hey, it's the NFL, right? You're going to play for the Jaguars. Um, things don't work out great in Jacksonville, though. So that is as they are building what would become the 2017 Jags defense. You remember that team, that crazy defense go to the AFC championship team? Um, you know, they got Calais Campbell and you know, and all these other guys on that defensive line that are kind of shouldering Sheldon Day out, even though he feels like he could totally be that guy. He feels like the odd man out a little bit. And he's getting in with some limited reps, but he also isn't used to playing in a 4-3, and that's what they run there. So he says he's kind of, this is like a very young player thing. He's like trying to make the blow-up play every single time. Because he's only getting limited reps. He wants to make the most of them. So he's going for the big play instead of just like sitting back, doing his job, and doing what the coaches want him to do. Um, all of these are lessons that he's forced to learn because in the middle of his second season, I think he only played like six games for the Jaguars uh, in his second year, which was 2017, he gets cut. And it's kind of a wake-up call for him. Um, th there is something so humbling about that. You're a, a fourth-round pick, I think he was, for... Jacksonville and they're moving on from you and they're moving on from you at a time where you did not expect this to even be a conversation. You know, it's one thing to not make the team in August. You go, all right. Yeah. Like everybody's got, it's a business. You understand they can only pick so many people, but they picked you. They did have you on the roster and you're sitting there like trying to prepare for the next opponent and suddenly you're cut. And he spends a couple of absolutely excruciating, agonizing days 
just trying to like come to God and figure out what's going on before he gets the call. But he does get claimed off of waivers, and two days later he learns of this. He is going to be a 49er. He gets the call from Robert Sala and, San, and the San Francisco 49ers, and he sort of is able to, to find his mojo there a little bit. He's still playing rotationally, um, but he's able to parlay that the way he says it. He's like, he gets his mojo back. Um, and he's able to kind of turn that into a more productive version of his career. He, this will all culminate in the, uh, 2019 Super Bowl against the chiefs. He will play in it as a 49er. Of course they lose. And that's the end of his rookie contract, even though he changed teams because he got claimed off of waivers. The, the 49ers just assumed the rest of his contract. So he plays out his rookie contract with the 49ers and then he hits free agency. And being a guy coming off that Super Bowl team is going to help that that momentum. And um, also, being a free agent means you get to choose your destination. So where does he go? Indianapolis Colts. And he gets to play for his hometown team. Gets the jersey he gets to keep forever and all that stuff. And he's very excited. But it was not meant to be, unfortunately. Uh, he would miss most of... Indianapolis Colts training camp with a knee injury and he would be cut before Thanksgiving. Um, he got picked up on the Browns practice squad where he would be one of those guys that would get like cut and then re-signed and then put on the practice squad and then cut and then like kind of bounce on and off the roster as needed as a sort of artificial way of expanding the roster. You tell a couple players like, Hey, we're going to cut you and re-sign you so we can put that guy on our roster. And then, you know, we're going to cut him to re-sign you and we're going to cut you to re-sign him and you'll just trade off. And it's kind of this weird, like flurry of transactions. Um, so he does that. But again, it's like when Jacksonville drafted you in the fourth round, there was a plan you would assume in place, right? There was like a desire. There was a vision for what you were going to be. But now you're on team four of your career and they're kind of just looking at you as a warm body to fill in, you know, as, as a depth piece, um, as, you know, a bubble guy that will bounce around to whoever's going to give you a game check as a practice squad elevation in place of an injured player that that team actually wants. Uh, but hey, maybe Sheldon Day will see the writing on the wall. Maybe this is going to be like that time at uh, at Notre Dame where, you know, maybe this is my last chance to get my stock up. This is my chance to resurrect my career. And maybe there's some extra gear that can kick in uh, with that extra added layer of pressure. Some guys, I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that needs that sometimes. So it's like easy for me to sympathize with that. Uh, tough to bet against guys whose backs are on the wall. And hey, maybe he just is going to be a practice squad dude. That's a call up sometimes and is a situational guy sometimes. And maybe that's the the plan for him. Let's just see what kind of diamond comes out of that pressure. Um, tomorrow on the show, I want to do some X's and O's stuff. I want to see if I can't get into another offensive lineman. It might be Vidarian Lowe. It might be somebody else. We'll see what I decide that I want to do. But whatever it is, I hope you join me. I'll see you all for that. And as always, Skull.